Good evening, everybody. This is Rich Duncan with Inkheist, and tonight I'm joined by my co-host, Shane Douglas Keene. And tonight we're happy to welcome Daniel Barnett to the show, who um, re fairly recently released the fourth book in his series, The Nightmareland Chronicles, called The Flashlighters. Daniel, we're excited to have you here today. Oh, thank you, guys. I, I appreciate you having me on. I've been hoping to chat with you sometime for a long time now like as shane and i were just talking about we've we've been chatting for a while <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and um you know like i think all of us have kind of interacted on twitter at one point or another and that's what's interesting yeah. you know about doing Absolutely. the show is people yeah. that you've talked to just through like words you know getting to actually hear their voice and stuff yeah i i remember i was we were even talking way back in my Facebook days too. So, um. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> we live really close. Actually, I was just talking to my uh, buddy Danger Slater, and ah. he, he told me about the time he uh, dropped a book off for you at, in a parking lot at one point. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it was glorious. Yeah, it was. He, he digged a hole. We're out there in a in a clinic parking lot acting like we're doing a drug deal out there or something <laughs> <laughs> hey, neither man, one of us had ever seen we'd never seen each other before you know that's, <laughs> that's, great. that's great that's awesome he said i'll be driving a shitty car you can't miss it and i saw the first shitty car and waved at him it was him <laughs> that's perfect uh, yeah, danger to kick Dude, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Daniel, um, every time we have a new guest on the show, we kind of have them do like a uh, new kid at school speech. Um, so, if you just want to tell listeners a little bit about yourself, um, a little bit about how you got your uh, start in writing, and anything else you'd like them to know. Yeah, sure thing. I uh, so my name is Daniel Barnett, and I've been uh, writing for for quite a while now and seriously for quite a while too i've spent the last i spent my 20s supporting myself as a server in various restaurants and um doing night jobs so i could write I during the day there, man. yeah <laughs> it's a it's a life yeah. for sure and uh got four published books um most recently as rich said i've been fully consumed by the nightmare land chronicles just an ongoing uh, serialized adventure horror epic starring one man following one man trying to uh reach his estranged daughter in a world claimed by eternal night and uh that's been that's been an experience i'm been haven't hardly written a single other thing in the last three years now been fully absorbed by that and yeah i, I write i guess you could say um, I mean, obviously it's horror. I like I like horror with a strong focus on the characters. I like horror where you know the the characters get bigger through their experiences. Um, you know, adventure, danger, all those good things. Yeah, <laughs> kind of they. Uh, you have the evolution thing going on there, where the characters actually grow and change and seem real. Uh, that's what, what I what I hope for. <laughs> well, I think because, like you saying, you were full, you've been fully immersed in this series, and um, I picked a, I didn't get to even the first book until just this morning, and I blazed through about half of it, 
in about an hour and a half. So I think cool. you're golden, man. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I'm I'm glad you you had fun with it. Um, and book five, huh? Book five's coming in about nine days, right? It is, yeah. It is very, very shortly. I'm I'm excited for that release. You know, um, they're all a little bit different than each other, all a little bit similar. I have a lot of different scales going in my head. Uh, you know, so some of them have a the horror element, the or like the horror human element is a little stronger in some of the volumes and other volumes. The uh, you know, you, you've got like the supernatural horror kind of takes the front seat a little bit more. You know, there's a lot of different little things that I, as a tangent, <laughs> but yeah, volume five coming. Uh, we welcome tangents. We're wide open to that. That's how the conversations happen here. Great. <laughs> yeah. I'm built out of them. I am too. <laughs> I'm, I'm built out of tangents and interruptions. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been an experience and I've, I've been really, uh, really happy with the reception that I've gotten so far, you know, just being that kind of little indie self-published writer. Um, it's nice sharing Uh, the stories with people. And there's such, so much, honestly, I'll stop gushing in a minute, Rich. Um, (laughs) no worries. There's so much love about this thing. I mean, Daniel Sarah's fucking incredible artwork for yeah. one, makes you want the books even if you'll never read the damn things, you know? <laughs> I mean, he's serious. The guy he's, is just off the chain, you know? Yeah, he is a, he's a genius, and he is just as kind as he is brilliant. Yeah. So I'm really very lucky to work with him, and I got one more cover contracted from him for Volume 6. Um, and, I, I mean, I, I, hope, I hope to to you know work with him more in the future too for sure yeah yeah i hope to work with him someday too oh yeah he's 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 you know can't say enough yeah. about that man kind of a bucket list item to work with that guy absolutely yeah or at least have his artwork on my wall <laughs> that too that too <laughs> for sure yeah so. yeah his yeah his artwork is uh incredible and you know kind of it's cool that you were able to contract him for, um, you know, like now you just said, you know, through the first um, six, you know, because it kind of gives it like a cohesive look. But um, mm-hmm. the thing that I was interested in asking you about, because you had mentioned that you had been, you know, kind of immersed in this story for, I think you had said three years um, with a book of this kind of scope, because I know in one of the volumes, I forget uh, which one it was but you had mentioned that you know it, it's looking to be about 12 books did you kind when you conceive this is it more that you have like the whole thing mapped out or do you have like a general idea and then you find kind of as you start each volume you know that it kind of just branches off organically so um that's a, I mean, that's a great question and it's a definitely more of the of the latter than the former. I would say that I have landmarks along the way. Um, like I, I know certain like big moments like throughout the series to some extent. Um, 
have some of those in my place and, and the rest is kind of like follow you know so those are like i mean use them use a, a road trip metaphor i mean this is a big road trip adventure essentially so you have you know the cities that you're you, you know that your your main destinations and then the rest kind of fills it out itself out along the way as you go along i try to leave enough room for things to grow and surprise me um my first and foremost i would say structurally my goal is for each volume to be satisfying in its own right to have a beginning and middle and an end and i know that some are definitely you know more successful in that than others some you know have like a louder climax more satisfying other ones hit on a quieter note you know um Mm -hmm. but usually i mean the goal is to have a each one to feel contained and satisfying in its own regard um and so I, I know the premise and the setting f- going in for each successive volume, but things things grow on you. You know, things get bigger. They surprise you. Um, and that's, like, you know, all part of the journey, part of the adventure. Just listening to mm-hmm. that stuff. So. At, uh, yeah, at my age, pretty much everything shrinks on you. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. no, no, that's cool, man. Yeah, yeah, you know, and and I guess twelve wasn't a hard number when I was going in. So I, one little piece of something is that I'd actually finished writing the first five before the first one was published. So I I wasn't thinking like I didn't sit down and say oh twelve volumes. I was kind of thinking more like oh probably ten. But some of the um the respective volumes grew on me in such a way that they became their own thing as I was going along. Um, you know, a story that I sat down to tell was actually two stories. So it became two volumes instead of just one really long one. Um, that's happened with this. And in the case of volume six, Lily, uh, Lily is going to be, I mean, it's going to, it's going to be a, like a legitimately big book, like, it's the season finale, you know, I kind of think of it as that supersized season finale where you're tying off a lot of arcs. Um, so in this case, like maybe even 90% of the arcs established in books one through six get tied off with Lily. Um, I mean, there's the main overarching thing that, you know, not, not that, mm-hmm. but uh, I wanted this one to be just like a big to use the word landmark again, just a big satisfying landmark for the readers when you get to volume six. Um, I want, you know, kind of hit people with everything I got for that one. Um, give them a big book, kind of a, a reward for that halfway point of the journey, that big turning point in the journey. At least, you know, I hope that's how it, how it feels to people. Pay out, you know, pay off for these, these characters that you followed for a ways. Um, you know, you gotta be careful about spoilers, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know that it's interesting that you um, that you kind of said that because that was one thing I was curious about because um, I know you had kind of alluded to um, you know again in some of like the afterwards that you know it might be a while before you you know get some of these answers, but I find it kind of interesting that. Um, you're saying like with book six that it might kind of wrap up like 90% of those because that kind of hints at like 
a very big shift kind of like uh, going forward, especially if, you know, it is going to be kind of around that like 10 to 12 installment range. Yeah, it's, um, there, there are, you know, so there's a, there's a progression here, um, with the books and I don't, I don't want to spoil anything. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, so book one focuses on the nightfall itself and the reaction to that. And it's this story that's told with kind of like the, the opening hours of this apocalyptic event, um, and everything that kind of kicks off and sets off the journey. Uh, volume two throws a bit of a curveball, um, and that pertains to the title of the book, Lullaby. So there's another, there's another, there's the other shoe falls in the second volume, and then we spend in kind of a mild world-building way. We get a small glimpse of the horrors to come in three, and then a little bit bigger of a glimpse in four, and then an even bigger one in five. Um, like kind of like coming to, into its own. Uh, you know, seeing a, a bigger picture of the world. Because uh, a lot of this story is roads less traveled. So, mm-hmm. for instance, um, City of Blood is Provo, Utah. And that's the first time that our characters have crossed into a, an actual, like, city. Not just a small kind of dead town on, you know, some little ghosty highway. But, and then with Volume 6... You get a little bit of everything, or in some cases, a lot of everything. That's we're gonna have a deep dive into our main character's past. You know, it's time to peel back some of those layers. Um, it's time to learn a bit, a little bit about you know what makes uh, John tick, and so there's that kind of is a centerpiece of the book. But there's a lot of other stuff going on too. There's a reckoning. There's still the supernatural horror, and then there's a very human element um, in terms of the danger and stuff that is being faced. Decisions have consequences, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that sounds really awesome. Um, like I, um, like Shane, they, I blasted through like um, when I did start them, um, all of them fairly quickly. Um, and, you know, I'm definitely looking forward to kind of, seeing that but then also you know kind of seeing that um shift later and i guess that's um another question i had you know is kind of along with like the writing process is um like since it's kind of a long idea and you kind of mapped it out and things happen like organically um like it's interesting that each book you know they do stand alone and they have like a satisfying beginning middle and end did you find that difficult um you know as you did each volume kind of keeping the pacing you know consistent throughout and keeping it keeping the reader engaged throughout even though you were doing them kind of as small slices um of an overall idea where you might not have known exactly where it was going yeah yeah i that's um there are several different answers to that question. So I mentioned earlier having different kind of scales in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, for instance, volume two doesn't have a big visceral climax, but it's one that's very personal to a main character. Uh, one of the main characters, it's very like woman versus nature 
um, in terms of like the conflict tree, and there's there's still danger there, but it's it's quieter, more personal, and also you know you know there's the man versus nature, man versus self, that kind of stuff. Uh, so y- you have that with volume two. Um, volume three gets into its own. You know, the cast broadens a little bit, but in any case there are all these different elements of what I personally like in a story, what I think makes a good story. And I'm trying to tick as many of those boxes as I go along on the way. And sometimes I will tick a box in one volume um, and not in the next one for the kind of the sake of books feeling different um, from each other. There's a sort of, yeah. natural uh, thing that comes about. Or, or for instance, I won't tick a box in one because I know that we're going to dish dish that out in the next one. Um, I kind of, ha- you know, there's like its own promise that I'm trying to fulfill to the readers. You know, I want each book to have some nightmarish stuff in them. You know, that's the title of the series. As far as pacing goes, that's, that's all wrapped in. I have it in my head, but mostly, man, I'm just, I'm just writing and hoping for the best. You know, I'm just I'm just following yeah. like following the threads and some you know some are a little bit more thought thoughtful than others. Some of them are a little bit more action oriented. Like the flashlighters is a pretty action oriented yeah. position. Uh, sleepwalking is a little bit more plotted. Like sleepwalking has more moving pieces. Um, then there's these kind of contained arcs that happen too. So like for instance, two and three are kind of companion books, whereas four and five are kind of companion books in their own way as well. Um, you know, some arcs start a little bit later, end a little earlier. I'm rambling. Here we go. But <laughs> I hope that answers the question a little. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, for sure. <clears throat> how far are you in the? How far are you along in the series, Rich? Just so I have a framework. Oh, I, I finished all uh, Fuck four. Fuck you, Rich. <laughs> no, I, I didn't want to lie. <laughs> oh, cheers. That's cool. I sent you the first five, isn't that right? Uh, four. Okay. But yeah, um, yeah I, I, started them, uh, I started them a little while ago, so... Um, but yeah, I, I read them and... Again, that did answer the question, and uh, it's definitely a cool approach because I feel like it carries through. Cool, thank you. You know, I, I think serialized books are just a really fun format, and I, I know that kind of throwing caution to the wind in some regards. Like most of them are pretty good. Most serialized things out there are pretty good about like matching length from book to book, and sometimes I'm just like, eh, fuck it. This next one's going to be 120,000 words, you know. yeah we're going all in (laughs) you know that actually there's a few publishers out there now that are actually starting to publish some of those behemoths again yeah Um, i think silver shamrock does actually quite frequently they they did malignant Mm -hmm. summer right or am i getting mixed up yeah they did yeah and devil's creek right Um, nice yeah some big ones this is a little late on my end for saying this, but I also want to say how much of a fan I am of you guys' show. I've listened to quite a few of them. I enjoyed your chat with Mike Thorne. I enjoyed your chat with uh, Stephen Graham Jones quite a bit. 
and you know more uh, you know, as well. But I'm gonna spoil a secret right here because you mentioned the guy <laughs> and I can't keep my fucking mouth shut. But uh, a little later this little later this year we have Laird Barron and Stephen Graham Jones on the same oh, episode. My heart. Uh-huh. <laughs> if you need a guest, if you need a guest on that show, you know, I'm I'm here. <laughs> uh, hey, you know, might need an extra host. <laughs> yeah. Bring a whole whole crew together. Whole, uh, whole community. I think we've had mm. six six at once before. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think <laughs> that that's been fantastic. the most. I'm actually uh, reading uh Laird Barron's Worst Angels right now. Oh, oh that's so good. It's carry it out with me to lay in the sun every day. Get it just a couple chapters at a time. Just kind of soak it up. He's, his use of language is something special. Oh, yes, it is. Mm-hmm. And I, I literally sit there with a notebook when I read his his books. <laughs> you know, And there are a few, few authors like that I do that with. You can, you can just feel his reading. Like, you can just feel, like the breadth of his knowledge of so many things in his writing it's it's pretty something special for sure yeah um and and uh dr jones too oh god yes I, this is this is a little bit of a shame on me story but at the same time i don't regret it at all um i read the first act of the only good indians last year and then i put the book down not not because I wasn't having a good time with it, but because I was so deeply satisfied by Act One that I wanted to mm-hmm. let it become like its own thing for me. So I, I I waited almost a full year, then I picked it up again and I read Acts Two and Three in like two days. Um, and I, I mean they were even better. I, I yeah. just like I can't I can't say as far as like it's that's probably my number one for the year, either that or you love me. Um, by uh, Caroline. Uh, uh, oh yeah, yeah. I've only I've only read Providence so far, but I love her work. Oh, she's mm-hmm. she's she is special. Um, and she's a hell of a nice person too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I haven't had the uh, like the privilege of interacting with her myself personally, but everything I've seen from the outside looking in is that she just seems uh, super down to earth and. I just don't. I don't have any fucking filters, so I just butt right into everything. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny you mentioned her. Um, my wife's been reading her. Uh, she's been reading the You series, um, and she yelled at me because I told her I was going to say this on a different episode, and then I didn't. But um, she, you know, she. God bless her. She's very supportive of our show. Um, and she loved the books and she, she wrote to her on Instagram and was like, you know, I love your books, et cetera, et cetera. And then she's like, you know, you should really go on. Um, my husband does a podcast with Shane Douglas Keene, um, called Ink Heist. You really should go on their show. <laughs> You're fucking kidding me. <laughs> I am not kidding you. Awesome. I, have I have approached her about that. Um, Cause I remember Carolyn. Where you said that as soon as you finished editing this third book in the You series, that you were going to come see us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she did. She wrote her right on Instagram. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. That's uh, we, yeah, that's uh, we will get her on here one of these days. 
um, sooner rather than later. I, I look hope. forward to it. I, I can't say enough about just like the sheer ferocity of her voice. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's ooh, I mean it's it's funny because every book in the U series was all five star books to me. Um, but it's like a diff- when you're when you're dealing with an author like this, it's like a different scale of five stars. Like uh-huh. book two is book two is five stars for me, but book like three is like a like a quiet seven out of five. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it's just on a different level then but it's not sliding one against the other they're just they're all exceptional um yeah i great oh and this is me pivoting back to stephen graham jones but i actually got my grandpa to buy uh the only good indians and he's really enjoying it as well he's one of the reasons i got into reading i mean he's the guy who introduced me to stephen king back when i was in like middle school yeah you got a great grandfather He's, he's a wonderful man. Um, yeah. Um, that's awesome, though. You know, spread the, spread the word. And I love, um, you know, the eclecticness of the various people who are reading this kind of fiction these days. You know, it's, there's a diverse group. When back in 70s and 80s, horror was white people words for the most yeah. part. There weren't Absolutely. a lot of people of color that read it. There weren't a lot of, you know, there weren't hardly any queers at all, you know, because <laughs> they catered to markets that looked away from those demographics, you know. Definitely. And, uh, uh, yeah, I so. I shut out, Sorry, I digress. I, no, uh, no. It's a, it's a subject I'm passionate about. <laughs> well, it's, it's kind of funny that you bring this up because, or not, I mean, not funny, but on that subject, I went from reading The Only Good Indians to I read The Manitou by uh, Graham Masterton. Oh, yeah. And, like, okay, so I, I got to preface this. Like, if Graham Masterton ever listens to this, <laughs> I've got a lot of respect for his uh, his ability as a writer. I mean, yes, there's some, but... there's, there were some lines in that book that were like, like uh, lightning walked on awkward stilts. I'm like, my God, right? Chills. But when it came to the characterization of the Native American man, that it comes into the story about halfway through. um, It's very white. Especially coming off of the Only Good Indians, which just so, so. uh, I mean, like the, the like the absolute nuance of the identity kind of crisis um what it means to be an america uh, you know a native american in this white america um, um like yeah just it, breadth of that <laughs> yeah kind of says a lot for the the whole own story thing too you know it's like yeah you know absolutely. it's you know like I, I think it was stephen graham jones who said that um I lost my train of thought. Sorry. I do that. <laughs> this is. Um, remind guys. me of the. Com- hit me with the conversation. What were we talking about? <laughs> oh, we were just gushing about some of the best authors in the business, mostly. Right. And and like characterization. I mean, the the, the Manitou, you know, it just it had a little bit of a. It was a very magical Native American. Um, mm-hmm. Like shooting like. 
ice lightning from his fingers or something, you know. I remember now. Sorry. <laughs> stuff. <laughs> in, in any case, it was just a. Uh, it was worlds apart from reading the experience of somebody who has, you know, who has lived the life um, of that, you know, that identity. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, I know. I remember now what I was going to say is that he he was the one who said um, to God damn it. Never mind. Apparently, I, yeah. apparently I didn't take my uh, ADHD medicine today. <laughs> yeah. hey, nope. No worries. We got time. If it comes anytime, I'm, just I'm lance good. right in. Yeah, <laughs> I know it will. And I will because that's me. Yeah, it's it's definitely. Um, I mean, I mean, it's just a special experience, you know. Reading, and I, I can't mm-hmm. say enough too for like, like I've I've had this conversation again with uh, my buddy Danger Slater, and he's like, you know, Stephen Graham Jones has just kind of been, like, publishing the stories he wants to write for so long, and it's like now he's just taken off, and it's always just really good to see somebody with that kind of that kind of talent, that kind of voice. Mm-hmm. It's just also a, mm-hmm. seems like a really good dude, you know. Nice to see people make it. Um, you know, oh, nice yeah. Make it. I hear he's got a billboard in Times Square <laughs> somewhere, or right outside Times Square or something. Okay, I got, I got this thing now. I even wrote really? this bitch down. <laughs> um, what he said was that um, if you're going to write people of color or you know any demographic that you aren't really a part of, it's, you're better to make them... A character in the story don't make them the fucking story you know? yeah because that's not your story to tell <laughs> so that was yeah it. i uh i think there's there's something to be said about a little bit of being on the outside looking in um you you want it, it's it's i mean i'm i'm speaking as like the plainest jane author out there you know i'm i, I don't I'm I'm a I'm a white dude, you know. Uh, I've been a represented voice for a long time, and I do want my stories to be, you know, to feel diverse. Um, And I want the characters that come through in my stories to be, you know, empathetic or like or not. I mean, Mm -hmm. the the wrong. Yeah, yeah. I, I want them. I want to treat anybody I run across in my stories, anybody we meet with a degree of, um, you know, humanity. I, I yeah. even kind of try to feel that way a lot of the time. Not always the case. Sometimes you just want a badass villain or a, a, a terrible, yeah. scary villain. But <laughs> I think it's best when the um, the goodness of people still shines through in surprising ways. I, I really, I really like that, and I like when that surprises you in a, in a, in a dark setting, not to be like a pun, but in a horror novel, I think, you know, you know, those acts of kindness, um, people trying to be good people, uh, all that stuff can add a lot of, a lot of weight to, to, you know, the stuff you're, you're dealing with. I I don't know how, I haven't had anybody specifically comment, which I, I honestly, it's probably, I mean, I've had people talk about Marcos. You know, Marcos is a young mm-hmm. uh, Mexican-American character. I haven't had anybody come out and 
tell me I fucked up on it. So that's a good start. Yeah, um, it is. It is because they yeah. they catch it quick. You know, people, the community is really quick to focus to zone in on shit like that now, which is a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we all deserve to be, you know, judge of the work. That's yeah. what it's there for. And that was, uh, I had a, I had a um, seminar with, a, or a workshop with Gabino Iglesias. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, he gave us this big, long-ass list of things to ask ourselves about any character we write, no matter what their demographic, even our own. Um, and, and it was actually pretty amazing because then it just kind of, it doesn't genericize it, but it kind of gives you a process to help define the character that you're trying to write. But he said the way you answer those questions is you go to somebody in the demographic that you're writing about and fucking ask them. Yeah. You know? That's true. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I, I can't say enough about his work either. Uh, Zero Saints rocked me. Yeah. For mm-hmm. sure. I mean, I love Coyote songs as well, but... I, Zero Saints, you know, tickled I'm in the same boat. That's the book that made me fall in love with his work for sure. Um, I love the hell out of Coyote songs. Zero Saints is one of my favorite books. It's just, it's just such a satisfying story on its own right, and it has, it's so, it has the same, like that's that same underlying energy. all the same ingredients it's just directed a little bit differently and the direction that it took was one i just i deeply loved i mean i, I still think about the border passages from zero saints regularly like mm-hmm. amazing oh you know what man i read those passages over and over again when i first read that i mean because i'm a poet anyway um and the language is just so gloriously romantic it is. You know, and, and the way he did that with the, with the Spanglish was just, I loved the hell out of it. I, and I also loved trolling people who had a problem with it. So. Yeah, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, like, I, like, I hadn't taken a Spanish class in years, and it's not even, there's no, there's nothing in there that, like, content, I, I can't say enough about, like, the the precision required to um, make everything understandable by context. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And walk that line. So like a, like yeah. a, a pasty little white boy like me could read it and just feel it and know everything that I needed to know. I didn't need to translate anything. I was good. And then yeah. I didn't have, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't carry a bunch of this stuff in. And I and I hear you rereading that stuff. I mean, when I find passages that I like, I annoy the hell out of my family. I'll call my mom up and make her listen to a whole, <laughs> yep. a whole thing. Like, hey, check this out. Like, you, you're free good. Like, <laughs> um, Edward Bedar is another guy. He's a he's a poet, um, and I probably just massacred his name. But he also does that mixes his mixes the languages in his poetry, and and it's beautiful. It's, it's such a beautiful thing and i mean like yeah. poetry is wonderful i'm i'm so shamefully uh not um educated in en- it enough but i can't i mean cadence um cadence is really important to me yeah um with writing 
and like I I love I just I love language I love the I love the beat I love assonance like those things that just like that make um like that difference like just stuff that makes uh yeah I know what you're talking about yeah, exactly man I li- I live for that shit it's, it's uh, a mm-hmm. special thing when you find it you know. The Joe cadence, Hill. the uh, alliteration, assonance, you know, mm-hmm. there's so many different things, you know. Um, and the other things that pe- people don't catch if you're subtle with it, like internal rhymes and shit like that. Absolutely. Um, well, I think, I, like, pardon me. No, pardon me. No, I was just going to say that I feel like uh, a lot of my education as a writer came from listening to Eminem growing up. The internal um, rhymes is something you mentioned there, and I think yeah. that's one of the things that he did, you know. Yeah, he did. Mm-hmm. Did it frequently, um, and I, I can see why that would inspire someone to write. I mean, yeah, because no matter what else you give him, the guy's got incredible fucking cadence, and he's a damn good writer. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's not like it was. It wasn't like a conscious thing, but I think that's just always something that kind of like kind of seeped its way in those the the, the internal internal mechanisms um this you know you don't you don't want to pile up an alliteration on a reader because it's just like like beating them over the head with a mm-hmm. you know you know bludgeon some kind but i have fun can, with that though i push yeah. it right to the edge <laughs> uh, yeah but you here. can go ahead you, oh no no i was just i was just agreeing with you you know you can make that you can make that sentence flow mm-hmm. just like the little sounds just those are the yeah. ones you can yeah and there are other things too, like you know, using the, the alliteration. You know, like you start a word that begins with an ah sound, and then that sound is in the middle of the next word or whatever. You know, and you, that's kind of sneaky alliteration, but it helps the cadence quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. the the th- The sounds that are in the in the middle of words, you can so often um, double those up because you know, like. And it'll make the sentence, you know, that stuff yeah. makes the sentence sing, but it doesn't, like, it doesn't pull the reader out of what they're reading, you know, they, yeah. like, you don't necessarily need to know why the sentence sings, it just does. And um, you don't even want the reader to wonder why it does, really, you want them yeah, to exactly. just listen to it. Yeah, absolutely. I was talking with someone about that this morning, um, and I'll shut up and let somebody else talk, but... Um, about the uh, music, or um, yeah, about the uh, sound of poetry, the cadence and the sound of poetry, you know, and like she said, she said, I read all of your poetry aloud because it reads like that's how it was meant to be, and it's which is very true. I write it that way. I, I speak it first, you know, and that's how that's what poetry is supposed to be. So if someone picked that up for me, I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, and but. and with any kind of work, you know, reading it out loud is such a great way mm-hmm. to train yourself. Um, this really feel and hear how it sounds. I mean, I think one of the hardest skills, you know, to acquire as an author is the ability to like actually hear how your work sounds right um, and mm-hmm. yeah and you gotta really really if you ever if you think about it what started me reading my work aloud was i was a heavy smoker at the time 
and was reading it aloud and realizing if I ever had to do a reading, I'd fucking drop dead because I can't fucking breathe halfway through a sentence. <laughs> you know, so I learned, yeah. I, learned to put, I learned to put punctuation stops in there to take a breath, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, oh, man, I could, I could go on and on about the oh, cadence yeah. and stuff. I mean, like, I, I think about Don Winslow's work, and I oh. think about... I still can't get over the fucking fact that he wrote three door stoppers that right. are written with, with cadence. Like, like legitimate, actual word, yeah. line by line, precision, beat and flow and heart and like breath, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, you he, saw Dan Simmons, for instance, he, like abandon, like he, he abandoned cadence. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he writes, you know, I know, I know he's like, you know, not had some of the, the greatest opinions recently and stuff. But if you, if you read Song of Kali and then you read one of his door stoppers, oh, yeah. like, like that ga- that man gave up on um, on the line by line, the language stuff. I, mean, I, I don't even mean that as like I don't mean as this. I understand why it hap- like why and how it happens. Yeah. Um. And like and I say that as like an enormous fan of his work. So. Oh I mean, yeah, me too. Dan Simmons, if you're listening, like, love your work. Like. <laughs> all, I don't. Yeah. All, all the way through. But um, I can see that with those big long ass works like that, how you would want that would get uh, tedious if it wasn't something that you just did naturally. Yeah, and I I I mean it's it's you know we, we pivot around back to like you know the 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 OG, but like Stephen King, you know his ability to be yeah. uh, so conversational, yeah. like that's the kind of writing that I mean ultimately I think like is closest to the voice that I strive for is the kind that's just like, we're sitting in a room and we're just having a conversation together. And, I agree. You know, mm-hmm. just, yeah. It's just easy. It just breathes. It opens it up. Yeah. You know, you, you got all the same ingredients in there that makes something special, but you don't even feel like somebody's trying to impress you or anything. It's just, just easy. Most of my fiction reads like fairy tales. Because I can't, I can't stop being a fucking poet even when I write a story. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I mean fairy tales are great. Yeah. Um, I don't, you know, they're not necessarily I'm making fun of myself more than anything else. But yeah, there are a few times I've had to go back and rewrite something when I realized it was just a big long prose poem. <laughs> it, it happens. Yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, hell, if you want to get into like a a structural analysis of like the, like the narrative of a Stephen King stuff half of his stuff is like has all these deep fantasy conventions buried in him you know mm-hmm. like they're horror novels on a fantasy backbone like a lot yeah. of his big books especially The Stand It you know yeah like that. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, the ones he did with Straub and, absolutely yeah. definitely definitely I when I read those two books, I, I agree wholeheartedly with you. I, I saw pure dark fantasy there. Mm-hmm. It's like, I mean, but uh, and yeah, you do have that ability to engage a reader though with your voice. That you know, mm-hmm. because I would like when I was reading this earlier, it's easy to immerse yourself in it and and suspend your disbelief. Um, you don't really. 
this will sound terrible, but except academically, you don't notice the language, and that's what should be going on. You should notice the story. Mm-hmm. Cheers. Thank you. I'm, yeah. I'm glad that I uh, hit that mark so far for you. Uh, and again, thank you. Thank you both for having me on and checking out my stuff. I mean, probably doesn't need to be said, but it really means a lot to me. Always. Yeah. Anytime. Uh, you know, yeah, thank you for thank you for trusting us with it. You know? uh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I can't wait wanna... for the guest that comes on and I go, dude, I'm sorry, I fucking hated that book. It was going to be an awkward hour, hour and a half, or however long. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, a flu, yeah. That's a flu day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, <But> it's... <laughs> it's uh, uh, I appreciate I appreciate that. Um, I was you know I was like man I want to I want to send them you know the series thus far but I don't want to I don't want to burden them you know pile too much on you on you guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, we, it was it's it's been great reading it and um, you know I I just want to reiterate what uh, Shane said you know just kind of the way you're able to bring readers into it. And, you know, for me, um, and I know you said like a big thing for you is, you know, writing the characters and having them be an important focal point. And even though there is plenty of awesome, crazy, you know, weird stuff that happens throughout these volumes. um, The one thing that I was surprised at um, and without getting kind of too deep into it and like why, but um, like, originally I had thought like, okay, John is going to be like the character, even though there's hints that there's something like bad in his past or I was like, yeah, he's going to be kind of the guy that everybody, you know, wants to follow. And while I am interested in his Jersey journey, I found that as I was reading the books, like I became kind of the most, um, the most interested in the relationship that uh maria has with marcos and i was just curious you know it just the way you portrayed that relationship was just so excellent and i was just kind of wondering you know what it was um like for you and if you had kind of always planned for them to have kind of that super strong bond i think you know that's one of the aspects that i kind of i i I felt that going in. Um, I mean, the first moment Maria sees Marcos, and this was a this was a first draft line. I don't remember it exactly, but it's something along the lines of, you know, she she sees him down a street, um, like this boy who she would come like fiercely and unreservedly to love, or something like that, and. So I kind of knew, I knew that about them, but that doesn't, but also that doesn't mean that, that like discovering it wasn't, and it like wasn't incredibly special for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm, every time anybody talks about their relationship, um, it's a victory for me. I like, my favorite scenes, like my favorite scenes to write in these books, aren't even the horror. It's like Maria and Marcos, like goofing off. Like I love, mm-hmm. I love them together. Like or or like the the, the there's like a, a kind of a, you know, they have this, 
they have this relationship that's like it's a bit mother son but it's also a bit like like untraditional like they're mm-hmm. in in some regards you know they 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 swear they rib each other like marcos is definitely like you know he's a 14 year old boy and she's like a pretty young woman he's also on some level kind of in love with her you know i'm not not like not weird mm-hmm. anything just like like yeah she she's like the world to him um because like he had lost so much of his when she comes into the picture and they had their ups and downs. They had some rocky patches and they, they just found each other. And I mean, I don't know. I I mean, I'm not going to like wax sentimental or poetic or whatever about, about this stuff. But I, I just like, if I'm being honest, like the easiest scenes in the world to write are the ones between the two of them. I love them both like i mean like mm-hmm. deeply and i mean that's, that's what huge, it's all about though. you know like that's, absolutely that's yeah. huge if you love them um everybody else will too probably i yeah i hope so mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that's i mean that's the hope i want people to you know you want to tell the kind of story you want to read and if and if people feel the way about it that you know you do then um or you know even even halfway about it the way that you do then you you've won you know that's that's the dream yeah mm-hmm. yeah and it's interesting that um you know like you had said that because like I've always wondered that um you know we've gotten to kind of explore that more now that we're doing the show but as a reader um you know like I've always wondered that like and it seems to be kind of like obvious, but you know, sometimes maybe it's not And that, like, you know, I really keyed in on their relationship and then it just so happened to be, you know, kind of your favorite thing to write. And I've always been curious, you know, if that's kind of like a common theme, you know, throughout everyone's books, you know, like the things that readers really key in on, if those were the things that might've been closest to the writer or if it's just kind of a coincidence. Yeah, you know, sometimes, like, I knew they were going to love each other. I, like, I knew, I knew things, but, like, it's, it's the moment by moment magic. The things that you didn't know you were going to write until you sat down and wrote it that day, just the little, the little interaction beats. I mean, and that's the stuff that, if any kind of story, I mean, I, I read a wide variety of stuff and it's always the characters that matter more to me than, you know, I don't, I don't have like a, a, like a, a blood and gore quota to fill. I love it. But, um, and here's the thing too, about your work and about characterization in general is, um, we were talking about danger earlier. Um, Oh yeah. He digs a hole was the first book I read. And then I went back and read his other shit. Um, but, the thing about that is, is that I despise Bizarro for the most part, mm-hmm. but he made me love that fucking book. And it wasn't because it wasn't the necessarily, you know, the Bizarro would not have worked for me if the characters did not fucking work. He's, he's great. And I, um, I still think that, uh, the studio that did Paranorman and Coraline should pick up mm-hmm. Puppet. Puppets, puppet skin. Puppet skin, yeah. Yeah, skin. I agree uh, with you 100%. I never thought about that, but you're right. That's yeah, that's awesome. It would be 
a fantastically easy adaptation for them and right up their alley. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's, it all starts with the character. I mean, it's just, it's, it all starts and ends with the characters yeah. for me. Um, and it's funny too, that you, you know, and I like to hear this too. I had some trepidation going into volumes two and three and like, I knew I was going to backseat John in a pretty big way. Um, and you know, I, and I knew that that was going to tick some readers off. Um, but I, but I've been continually almost without exception, um, found it very gratifying to hear that readers had the same experience as me, which was, you know, to an extent that like you come out of book three feeling like this is Maria and Marcos's story and John and, and that, you know, created a really fun dynamic for me as a writer, like the conflict opening book four, which is like, this is John's mm-hmm. journey. He's the main character, but like now he's in the back seat. He's third wheeling in his own event. You know, he's third wheeling <laughs> in his own epic journey. And, you know, how does he um, reestablish himself with the readers and with these two people, one of them being a strange, you know, this, this kid, and he's got a lot of stuff from his past that, you know, he's, uh, I mean, it's hard to say without spoilers, but, you know, he's, he's had a, a rough go of things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, well, I guess you're, you're half, I mean, both of you finished the first book. So like you can, you can probably see that like his, uh, his experience with adolescent young men doesn't often end well. you know like poor nicholas crowder but um in any case this does bring to mind um i don't know if either of you are gamers but you know metal gear solid 2 right yeah Um, i love that fucking game yeah pissed the hell out of a lot of people but i think i think it was kojima that said this quote which something like that where it's like for a character to go from being like a badass to i'm very roughly paraphrasing here but for a character to go from being like a badass to like like a legend to like a myth mm-hmm. you have to at some point see that character through somebody else's eyes and i that really resonated with me and that's a lot of what i was reaching for with john even with backseating him is because he's still present um but the ability to see him through the other character's eyes adds new layers of like mystique um to him or at least that's how i feel while i'm writing you know i feel that stuff and you kind of you know you you poke fun at him in some ways like at times you know there's some stuff with maria and marcos you know marcos is deaf and you know maria starts to learn sign language and like the first thing she says is like okay teach me all the swear words so i know what to call john (laughs) you know and it's like and then he's like they're signing at each other and he's like what'd you just say and she's like don't worry about it you know kind of stuff (laughs) and so he's an asshole but he's 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 one you kind of you know like he doesn't get off scot-free for being an asshole (laughs) i guess is what i'm going for like there are there are consequences yeah exactly and like 
you, you know, you, you hopefully yeah. come to love him a little bit, even with his calluses and stuff. But, you yeah. know, maybe you should also be a little bit of afraid of him, too, because he's kind of a different species in some ways. It, it will surprise yeah. everybody out there listening and you guys, too, to know that when I was in college, I had my friend Tess teach me all the swear signs. <laughs> so, <laughs> Hell yeah. That way I could swear politely. Man after my own heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Uh, but that, you know, I just want to say that that's like a really cool, um, kind of perspective that I never even really considered was, um, you know, like you said, the fact that to kind of build John in a way, um, you know, he took a backseat and you're seeing him through like another character's eyes. I never really like considered that, um, like, I, I knew he was an important part of this story, but I mean, just kind of like in general, like I never even kind of considered that um, that is like a style choice, you know, to like to build a character, but by doing it through someone else, kind of kind of a way that you did it with uh, your books. Yeah. Um, well, well, thank you. I it's 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 not something it's like I'm definitely not like the. Uh, I'm 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 borrowing heavily from everything that I admire, you know. Um, mm-hmm. That's what I mean. That's what what's that saying? Like, that's what authors do, basically. Um, but it, it's it's not you know too sim like dissimilar in practice to. I mean, I'm assuming both of you are like at least passingly familiar with the Dark Tower series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, Roland loses his like two fingers like half a hand right at the beginning of book two it's like oh shit you now enfeebled the you you enfeebled the unstopping killing machine and now through that weakness that you you put him into you're going to both develop him but also force him to rely on others and then you're going to you're wrapping narratively this it I, I, ultimately, I mean, if we're, if we're going to be really specific here, the most powerful characters in fiction, you know, you're talking Superman or whatever, like, they can tend to be a little bit more boring. It's through their weaknesses, um, through the challenges that they overcome, that that's a, what really sets them yeah. apart, all of our favorite characters. It's like, Exactly. Yeah. Even Batman. Yeah. Batman has some weaknesses, you know. He's not just yeah. fucking invincible. I, yeah. I've had that problem with Superman all my life. Is that okay? I know this motherfucker's gonna live, and he's not gonna get hurt. Why the fuck is this important to me? <laughs> yeah. You know? the time they killed him off, they kind of botched the delivery. Yeah, they did. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Anyway, sorry, so, I mean, my attitude. I was. I wanted to apologize for something though before I forget. Because um, I don't want to have to go back and edit it out. When when I was talking about Bizarro, it was not very polite of me to say I despise it. What I really mean is that it's it's just something that doesn't normally work for me. Oh. Everybody, you know, all literature is valid. So. I I do have to ask, have you um have you read Gregor's Aim? God, the name is familiar. Hanover Block. I've heard of him, but I haven't read him either. All right, this is this is a regular thing for me. I'm gonna I'm gonna dish out a, a an, an emphatic Gregor Zane recommendation. Um, he is 
if you want if you want funny and fucked up i mean they're all kind of funny it just depends on how fucked up you want if you want funny like with wacky adventure stuff go taboo gasm Mm -hmm. um it's literally about a guy who can't not win the lottery and i mean i'm i'm I was just I was just like a little while ago I was on a live video on a Nikki a Dark Between Pages channel or Between Dark Pages and um, I, I did the same spiel for him uh, because I, I love his stuff and I, I just want more people to read him but uh, like there, there's a conversation where he gets in an argument with an alien like about whether or not um, a super a physically enhanced prime minister of France could juggle cars. <laughs> and <laughs> and the awesome. alien is just this like little cigar smoking gray with bodyguards in this like special secret club that this guy's been invited to because he's can't not win the lottery. And he's like, look, man, it doesn't matter how strong the guy is. Physics dictates that like point between point of impact and like rotation, like the cars would crumple and break mm. before he would actually juggle him and the main character is just such a, like he's just such a like kind of dopey stubborn assholes and he's just like listens to this long explanation by this alien and he's just like nah i still think he could do it and <laughs> it gets to the like he just kind of like i mean the guy is like earnestly trying to explain to him like mathematically why couldn't happen he's just, nah, i'm not sure i think he could do it <laughs> and it's just <laughs> It's so funny, and if 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 you like um and the Hanover Block Quartet, he's released three of them, and every time I bring this up, I'm like, fuck you, give me the fourth one already. But <laughs> it's it's about um suburban. Uh, it's it's like it's basically a satire on like sexual desires and whatnot, like human sexual desire through the lens of like really boring suburbia kind of in an extent um but the hanover it's a if i tried to explain it it just wouldn't even do justice it's it's got a lot of really it's so weird but he's such a good writer with such a good like good control of his language and the ability to just like that dry humor and go to the dark places and come back out knows when to pull a punch knows when to hit all the way like deeply admire his work like a lot so he might be another bizarro guy you check out if you decide you're in the mood for it i will check i will definitely check that out and there are, yeah. there are exceptions to that rule i wouldn't necessarily call necessarily call them complete bizarro but uh cody goodfellow and john skip i both read both of those guys extensively um and I, yeah, I um I, I need to read uh I John's this is like where the networking kind of thing goes around, but I don't know John Skip personally, but he's a good friend of Danger, so I, I, I hear his name a lot and yeah. I need to check out his stuff too and uh Cody Fe- Goodfellow, I definitely need to add him to the list as well. I know I'm woefully mm-hmm. yeah, uh, yeah. him and his previous partner were um probably my favorite splatter punks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, such a wonderful genre. I mean, uh-huh. I, I just yeah. love that that the the fringe society element mm-hmm. of splatter like splatterpunk. Um, 
somebody tweeted the other day, you know, in reference to Clive Barker about how he reimagined monsters mm-hmm. as um, like beautiful and all that stuff, and mm-hmm. through that lens, kind of rewrote the narrative of you know what it means to be like queer or different or yeah. any of that stuff. And I, I mean, love it. I, I just yeah, I did too because that that was what I thought. When, when I discovered the books of blood, I read every goddamn one of those things and nothing else, oh you know? God. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. in the hills, the cities, like, yeah, who has exactly. ever written a book like that before, you know, or a story like that? Like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah, it was all brand new to me, and it was both terrifying and visceral and disturbing and beautiful all at the same time. <laughs> it was brand new to everybody who read yeah. it. I mean, like, nobody had ever done anything like that before with that kind of language and anybody who tries to write Barker-esque prose is going to like end up like falling into like falling on their face it's going to be purple but like he he just he's one of a kind I mean yeah that was he's the guy I started writing because of as far as fiction writing goes and I did at first try to write Barker-like prose and then I quit for about five years (laughs) entirely because I sucked (laughs) at it (laughs) Oh, I went through a phase, man. Everything I wrote in that phase was too flowery. And then I, yeah. like, if I tried to edit the stories, they got like half the length that they were, and then they just like, oh, whatever. I'll... Yeah, whatever. Yeah. It was it was a novel. Now it's a 30-page story. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have that problem. I still have that problem some with my uh, fiction because I tend to get a little bit purple, you know. Um, it, it happens to happens to all of us. Yeah. Definitely. Um, and I mean, it's not, it's definitely not the end of the world. I can, when I was, uh, when I was in college, I took, um, a writing class under a, a really hard nosed, um, old school ivory tower, um, MFA. He was actually the director of a pretty prestigious MFA program guy. And, uh, the story that I, like my, the first workshop story he ripped it. He ripped into it for about an hour straight, especially for how purple it was. Um, this was like ten years ago, and every time any student in the class, this is a small little class of like eight people. Every time anybody was like, you know, I actually liked how you know he did. Uh, you know, he he did like the, the the mood and the tension in this one scene, and like the teacher would just be like, really? Did you? Like, and just shut down anybody. <laughs> Shut down oh, anybody just to get right back to ripping me. <laughs> it, was, it was a That's, hard hour and a half, I'll tell you oh, that. Shit. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. there's nothing quite like um, you know, I've only done it a few times and it was creative nonfiction, but yeah, there's there are a few things, at least for me, that are quite as terrifying as having um like when we did it, we I don't know if this is how you guys did it. Like we would put our desks like in a circle and just having, like, all these people kind of, like, fire things at you. But, yeah, if the teacher was kind of quite like that, then that had to be pretty rough. Oh, I mean, he was he was eclectic, too. I mean, he and he was also, just, just for a couple anecdotes to kind of set the scene here, um, he, A, when asked about people who wanted to f- write fantasy or read fantasy, his advice was, grow up um 
<laughs> oh <Man>. God. <laughs> There was, he was special. He, he would he would go on like fifteen minute tangents about like the time he made this girl cry in his MFA program, or like the guy who was a really good writer, but after his class stopped writing and became an editor. Like he was so proud of breaking people. Um, and Holy shit. there there were I mean he was he was uh he was wacky. I mean like. It's interesting because I definitely had to like unlearn a lot, and I had to unlearn a lot of doubt, especially um, after his class. But I did also learn a lot. It was where I learned to be critical. It was where I began the process of learning to like, like actually see, um, not not just what I felt something sounded like, but like what it actually sounded like. Yeah. Um, and really tear into my work. I mean, it's because of his class largely that, you know, long grieve, I was able to almost on a sentence by sentence basis, I revised that down from 180,000 words to like 117, just picking at everything that I could. Um, and that process of, I mean, that was, like I'm not laying it all at this guy's feet, but like that's where the process began for me. It was, it was where my eyes were open to the fact that like, hey, I wasn't writing what I thought I was writing, you know? Like I was like it. So it was. I mean, I I, I credit for I credit him for for the uh, the good that he did do, um, whether he meant to or not. But <laughs> I mean, another little anecdote he. I'm just on the tangent now, sorry, but he, uh, we were leaving his class one night, it was this little brownstone road, and a couple, me and this other guy from the class were walking, and all of a sudden, like, we hear an engine rev, and we feel headlights spill over us from behind, and we jump out of the road, and he, it's, it's, our, it's Leslie Epstein, our teacher, blasting past us, like, <laughs> laughing his ass off about the fact that, like, he almost ran us over and scared the hell out of us. And we had to jump out of the road. He just thought it was like, he had his, he lived in a different world, man. He was something special. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It sounds like it. Was it like high I, comedy to him. Like it was, <laughs> I can some, only yeah. imagine a day in some the life. Guys, of that guy. yeah. Some guys, some guys have a real, a made, even some nice guys have a major cruel streak in them sometimes, you know, <laughs> like, Hunter Shea kicked a guy down the stairs one time. Just oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot you know? about that. <laughs> I feel like uh, more details are warranted, but <laughs> that's, that's he it. told us that story on the first podcast he was on, which I think was only like episode two or three. I have to load that load that bad boy up. That Get was season detail. one. Yeah, it's a, it was. It was fun, and it's more funny if you hear him tell it. That's why I'm not telling it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll check it it's out. That sounds, that sounds fantastic. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, I'm right up about at the witching hour here as far as getting the hell out of here. Yeah, um, absolutely. I'm, so, I'm uh, oh. go ahead. Pardon me. No, I was just going to say I'm at a buddy's house here, and he's got a um, – his, oh, his, his girl his girlfriend has a a 12 year old and 
Um, he's come up a couple times to throw stuffed animals at me from the hallway, which is... <laughs> <laughs> I think he wants me to go lightsaber battle him again. Yeah. Something along those lines. Almost well, like. kick his ass then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, what's this flying at me? Oh, it's a stuffed animal. And it's like he's grinning in the hallway. The stairs. But oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Any other news? Um, you know, well, I, oh, I guess to wrap things up, um, I, I am, I, I was invited by, uh, uh, Dark Peninsula to be the featured author in their inaugural issue of The Cellar Door coming later this year. Um, and I'm quite honored and excited by that. I had a novelette that had just, you know, novelettes are such a hard sell anywhere because of their length. And one that I was, you know, especially uh, fond of, just kind of waiting for the right home to come along. And it turns out that it fit with the theme of Woodland Terrors. Uh, Pigfoot is the name of the novelette, and that will be coming out in, I want to say, uh, October was when right. he said was that was coming. Um, but something to keep an eye on if you got subs lined up, because he's going to be opening the subs there. And I did have a bit of a sneak peek who's going to be the featured author for issue two. I don't know if I'm allowed to say it, so I won't, but it's a, it's a name that is well-known and well-loved in our community. Um, and that's a, I, I think, you know, expect good things from that press. Uh, they're, you know, he's a, he's, he's a nice guy. And yeah, that's new to me stuff. too. I hadn't, I hadn't heard of that. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, def- definitely worth checking out. If, if you want a link for anything, let me know. Uh, keep an eye on the sub window or, you know, what what Ooh. not, what have you. But uh, Yeah, I would love that link personally. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll, I'll hit you up with it the next day or two. Cool. Sure. Thanks, man. Um, thank you. Thank you both for having me on. Um, Rich, Shane. It's, uh, been, anytime. it's been fantastic. You're been welcome in our house anytime at all. I mean, don't oh. take that literally. You live too close to me, don't you know? <laughs> I don't want to wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning with Daniel Barnett standing over me. <laughs> well, yeah, I, yeah, no, I, <laughs> I got gotcha. you. No, I won't, I won't come kicking down your door, but anytime, anytime you feel like opening the door, let me know, and I would be uh, more than happy to chat with you guys again or, or whatever. I have one question. Mm-hmm. Please. Okay, why the fuck have we not had Danger Slater on this show yet? So I I, I can't answer that. That's a, that's a good <laughs> question. He's yeah. He's a he's a fantastic writer, fantastic dude, and he's a riot. So yeah. he would be yeah. he'd be kick ass to talk with for. I mean, I I can speak personally, having spoken with him regularly. He's always he's always a fun conversation. Uh, yes, he is. Even even if it's a 20 minute or a 15 minute conversation in a parking lot doing a shady book deal. It would have been fantastic if the cops had showed up and you actually had to explain that you were right. really just exchanging a book. <laughs> yeah. No, honest officer, it's a book. <laughs> nah, you must, it must be acid, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure he'd be happy to. Happy to come on and chat with you guys. Uh, uh, I will hit him up about that. I don't know why I've never thought of him. I, I also know he's got something that's uh, not Bizarro coming out 
pretty soon um, in a quiet village by the sea, a, a full, a, like a longer 80,000 words, I think he said, just like traditional, like um, denim jeans, whatever horror. <laughs> that uh, that thrills me to death to hear you say that, though, because he's such an Same. uncanny good writer. Me too. I'm, I'm, I can't wait to read it. Yeah. I'm so, pestering well, him to send me a, an advanced copy here. And you gave me some inside info so I can tease him with it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you very much, uh, Rich. You have anything else before we? No, just just uh, thanks again for coming on, Daniel. It's been great, and uh, yeah, we definitely look forward to speaking with you again sometime. Uh, yeah. Uh, everybody out there listening, get this guy's books. He's a real fucking deal. I, I thank you. And for the record, you know, you want anything of mine, anything that I've written, you just let me know and it's yours. So, uh, absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you both. You too, man. Have a good Mm -hmm. night. Um, Go, go, uh, get warm up, warm up your life lightsaber. Oh, yeah. We all have good sound effects. It's going to be great. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Have a good night, Daniel. See ya. See you guys. Take it easy. Is somebody going to hang the fucking thing?